Welcome to the 31st installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio magazine podcast. Ear to the Ground features interviews and field reports related to sustainable agriculture, family farming, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm your host, Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. Perhaps one of the biggest ironies around these days is that our hospitals, nursing homes, and other healthcare facilities are often associated with things that aren't so healthy. Take, for example, medical waste. Several years ago, a group called Healthcare Without Harm began approaching healthcare facilities about the mercury and other toxins they were producing. What really clicked was when they were able to get healthcare professionals to realize that some of the illnesses they were treating were connected to the waste they were putting out into the environment. Well, now Healthcare Without Harm has aimed its sights on food. Yet again, a great irony is that the food served in healthcare facility cafeterias is often not the healthiest. And the methods used to produce and process, as well as transport that food, are having negative impacts on the environment. And an unhealthy environment equals unhealthy people. Yet again, healthcare professionals are starting to see that something which at first blush seems to have little to do with their primary mission, making people well, actually has a lot to do with it. It's Jamie Harvey's job to educate healthcare providers about the connections between healthy local foods, a healthy environment, and healthy people. As coordinator of the International Healthcare Without Harm initiative, Harvey has been able to convince some facilities that sourcing local, sustainably produced food is good medicine. The Land Stewardship Project has recently joined the Healthcare Without Harm initiative in an attempt to help farmers network with their local hospitals and nursing homes. LSP sees great potential for improving the human, environmental, and economic health of communities by connecting local farmers with local hospital and nursing home cafeterias. Harvey recently keynoted the second annual Local Foods Forum and Expo in Winona, Minnesota. In his talk, he described how health care providers are increasingly making the connections between local foods, a healthy environment, and healthy people. So very quickly, about 10 years ago, um, a number of organizations were looking at a recent report by the Environmental uh, Protection Agency which said that medical waste incinerators were one of the leading sources of mercury and dioxin. And mercury, as you know, may know, it's a neurotoxin, builds up, and if you fish, you have to limit your consumption of fish. If you're a, a woman of childbearing age, you want to limit your consumption of fish because of mercury concerns. Dioxin is a carcinogen, which is in all of our bodies, and is a byproduct of the incineration of polyvinyl chloride, which is used extensively in healthcare. And we said, hmm, isn't this ironic? Here is healthcare inadvertently through the incineration creating impacts that are impacting planetary health. Um, we work with large um, purchasing organizations. Healthcare purchases most of their, um, most of their pro, uh, products through um, what are called group purchasing organizations, Kaiser Permanente. Um, is one that's working on a chemicals policy to make uh, to change the contracting uh, policies so that the products that they purchase are no longer a source of harm. So reducing mercury, reducing PVC, and many of the other chemical issues that you might see in your, in your papers. Consort is one of these GPOs. So we're working with major group purchasing organizations. And in time, in the 10 years that uh, we've uh, been around, we've been working to help educate healthcare on how to reduce their incineration of medical waste. So, um, but at that point, it was smaller, more environmental type organizations. But over the years, it has switched uh, and, and grown. So that now includes uh, organizations, 450 different organizations in 52 countries, including major healthcare systems, the Swiss Hospital Association, the American Public Health Association, 
um, variety of uh, Kaiser Permanente, Catholic Healthcare West, large uh, healthcare systems, the American Nurses Association, Land Stewardship Project, my organization, Duluth, a gamut of organizations that are working to help healthcare transform themselves so they're no longer a source of uh, ecological harm. Uh, thermometers, I coordinated our mercury work, so we worked with health systems to educate them, and they think this is key, as, and this we'll talk about food in a second, but it sets the stage for the work that we're doing with healthcare systems. In that, when we started working with, I was sharing the story last night, to educate healthcare practitioners about mercury and it's a neurotoxin. And there is no question about the science there. It's definitely a neurotoxin. It's been known for a while. Studies showing how it's building up in fish. Up in Duluth, working with the hospitals and the doctors and the nurses, many who on the weekend go off fishing. And we talk about this and, they'd say, and we'd say, so do you use mercury? Um, yeah, I guess. And our th- I guess our, thermom- yeah, our thermometers do. So what happens when it breaks? Um, I, it gets cleaned up, and where does it go? Um, I, you know, I don't know. I never really thought about that. And it was really, we thought it would be so apparent to those working in healthcare systems about the products they use and how, where they go. But, of course, they didn't. And so we had to do an education with physicians, with nurses, with everyone within the healthcare system. And as soon as they made that connection, they understood that linkage, things just changed. And now, in the United States, um, there are no pharmacies um, selling mercury thermometers. All the major GPOs have taken mercury products off contract. Um, there's a bill, actually, it's likely going to move forward in the legislature next week. Hearings on Monday um, banning the sale of um, uh, mercury blood pressure devices, mercury thermometers. We've passed those in Duluth. Across the country, essentially, healthcare has eliminated its use of mercury. But it's really the key is about educating that your audience about these linkages, which for many, if you're producers or involved in sort of sustainable agricultural agriculture, it's, it's, it's intuitive. It's everyone should know about this, but it's important to recognize it out there. Kellogg Foundation has done a really interesting, interesting research on exactly that, holding focus groups with organizations around the country, people, citizens group, and people do not know where their food comes from. It's, it's a farm. It's a, you know... But that's the extent of it. They do not really understand how dramatically our food and agricultural system has changed over the last 50 or 60 years. Over the last 10 years, healthcare systems have started to recognize how what had traditionally been seen as environmental issues are actually public health issues and changing their practices and policies to address that. Because, again, if you're not, if our planet is unhealthy, we can't have healthy people on an unhealthy planet. So we're here to talk about hospital food. And just so hospital food has gotten a bad rap. But, I, but the one thing that, again, in audiences where if you're interested in bringing sustainable food into institutions and, and working with them, is that 50 and 60, 70 percent, in the 50 to 70 percent range of the food that hospitals buy is actually served to the patient, I'm sorry, to the staff and to the visitors. And from that food that is purchased, then that is prepared for your patients in that. So if you're interested in working with your hospital system, I would suggest that you think about the patient and visitor food because there's staff there that need to eat, physicians, doctors, nurses, visitors, that are, that's a majority of the food procured. So throughout this talk, we're not going to talk about patient food because if we can improve the majority of the food that's purchased, then the patient food will change as well. 
So, so how did Healthcare Without Harm, which had its genesis that was involved in more toxic types issues, become involved with food? Well, some of our major healthcare system partners came to us. Catholic Healthcare West, um, Catholic Health Initiatives, Kaiser Permanente. They came to us and said, you know, there's this obesity crisis. And many of our, there's this debate in, raging internally about what and how we do. And it's important to recognize that they're not only having to treat patients, they're having to ch- change rooms because patients can't get into the rooms. The nurses are having occupational um, uh, concerns because of lifting. It's hard to move patients around, so they're out with injuries. And as well, many, many of the obese um, uh, people include um, the staff as well. So it's a crisis that's impacting them. So diet-related medical costs for the six conditions, all related around the diet, diet, coronary heart disease, cancer, stroke, diabetes, hypertension, exceeded $70 billion in 1995. We're seeing an increased rise in uh, discharges with gastric bypass, the incredible, you know, doubling, tripling, quadrupling of the amount of gastric bypass, where essentially they're, they are... Um, they're uh, surgically changing uh, your digestive system, going in to to minimize the ability of your digestive system to um, to absorb needed nutrients. But what's happening is is sort of this 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 real clinical approach is is just out of control. It is not sustainable because it can't. It, it's too expensive for healthcare to do it. It's just not sustainable. So many of the systems that we work with came to us and said, what's going on? How can we figure this out? So together in conversation, we looked at this and we said, "Is let's think about this systemically. Because when we looked at mercury, when we looked at dioxin, it was looking at how the mercury, mercury use, mercury is a great product in a measuring device. It's a great, um, uh, it, it's, it changes linear with, with, with temperature, it it's, works really well. But it's how it connects in, 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 a, in, a, in an ecosystem and moves out and comes back. Um, that's a challenge. So th- that was the problem. And when those lights went off around about thinking ecologically about how we're all connected, that's when lights started going off. Um, but as well, we're seeing that this is not about, a piece of it is about individual choices. And as the Institutes of Medicine has said, it's in, and this was around uh, a discussion around tobacco and how to change tobacco, they said it's unreasonable to expect that people change their behavior easily when so many forces in the social, cultural, and physical environment conspire against such change. So we have incredible marketing pressures. We have a whole variety of pressures telling us what to what we should eat. We have nutrition recommendations saying how many calories, how many vitamins, how many. But, but really, we're not looking at this systemically about how the whole system works to impact our health. Again, our healthcare partners started to recognize this. So we developed, the, again, this ecological approach, which says we have to look at how all these things are tied together. We can't just look at obesity. What are there other 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 um, health impacts that healthcare is confronting that if we looked at from a systemic approach, we could really change things. And it's complex, it's tricky because they're not always apparent, they're not always linear. Um, and, and it really needs to think big picture while you're trying to make change um, at a very individual level. So, so the way the systems that we work with are starting to recognize and is that obesity is just one symptom of a failed food system. That is how our food is protected and, and uh, produced and distributed. 
So can we create a healthy food system? Well, yes, we can. And there are many people in this room who are helping create it right now. See Sandy there and Jennifer and, you know. Um, but, but there are a variety of studies, one done by LSP that showed a direct correlation between plant cover on the land, reintegration of livestock onto the farms with improved water quality and, and fish health. And the profitability in these farmers and in, the, in these watersheds improved. You know, a variety of studies that demonstrate higher nutrient levels in organic produce. Um, so there's, there's studies out there that are, again, showing, yes, you know, local sustainable food can, can, uh, can provide an adequate supply for, for, for our communities. Um, and so as we shift to this, again, studies done by the University of Washington showing as, as children convert, what they did is they looked at students and looked at pesticide metabolites in their urine. When they shifted to an organic diet, those pesticide metabolites disappeared. When they put them back on a conventional diet, they could see again. Some physicians, some medical people would say, well, you cannot prove health impacts from that. But I guess I would argue that I prefer not to have pesticide metabolites in my child's urine. Um, in Europe, where they've banned the use of therapeutic, non-therapeutic use of antibiotics, again, they can still use antibiotics for uh, therapeutic treatment of animals, but not for non-therapeutic. What they've seen, they've actually done s population studies. They've seen a decrease, resist, uh, a dramatic decrease in resistant bacteria in the animals, in meat, and in humans. And this is the report done by the World Health Organization. So again, where we see the human carriage of resistant pathogens, these are the, the, the organisms that are resistant to the antibiotics that we carry. So again, from when they put the uh, phase out in place, in, in Germany, Netherlands, and Belgium, again, we're seeing a decrease in the antibiotic-resistant bacteria. And you can argue as well about there's starting to be some nice, nice data out there about the nutritional benefits of some of these food too. From, for instance, grass-fed beef um, tend to have higher levels of omega-3 fats and essential fatty acids in that. So, so in healthcare, what do we talk? So, what does that mean? And we had uh, I was called last week by the healthcare division of U.S. Food Service. Um, and they said, so what is it? Is it organic or local? And I said, well, it's, it's both, right? Um, but we sort of put these bullet points up as our way of defining what healthy food and healthcare means. Um, you know, really pro primarily proximate, meaning local, that it's healthy, that it's nutritious, um, that it's fairly cooperatively traded between producers so that there's some equity in, in, in people in that food chain supply chain, that it's environmentally beneficial, but essentially it looks at these things from a social justice and environmental and, um, and an economic pers perspective. Okay, so nice. We've laid out some of these connections. So, so what is happening? Well, in um, northern Minnesota, things are happening. So, for instance, Kaiser Permanente, which is actually the largest not-for-profit uh, healthcare system in the country, has passed a food policy, which I'll share with you in a few minutes. But they now have farmers markets at, and many of these Kaiser uh, Permanente are in, in sort of in, in urban areas. So farmers markets are kind of a new and exciting thing. But it's providing access to fresh fruit and vegetables. So, and I think it's now 30 of their large healthcare uh, facilities. They have farmers markets on site. They've de developed a comprehensive food policy, which is, says they want to purchase sustainable food from local producers. They uh, have a whole food team of the, 
upper management working on trying to change the contracting procedures, and we're working with them to help develop contract language so that they can specify food um, that, that meets their policy. Um, they uh, have sponsored this Food Med Conference, which I'll touch on in a second. But they have right now a pilot project going on in, in their northern California area where they're now sourcing 7,000 meals a day from local small family farms. 7,000 meals a day. So that's getting to be really exciting. So St. Luke's Hospital, a smaller facility in Duluth, um, and so they started, they kicked off their program about two years ago. And the, every year they do a, a, a sort of an employee thank you holiday meal. And, and we were chatting, we sort of came up with this idea of doing a, um, a, a local kind of like this meal. So in their employees, in the cafeteria, when they provide this sort of free holiday meal, it was all from local producers. And originally some of the cooks in the kitchen were like, oh, you know, here's another brilliant idea coming on. What turned out was at the end they were arguing about who would get to take the carrots home because they'd never tasted carrots so good. So there's some really exciting stories that come about. They compost their food waste. They have RBGH-free milk. They have fair trade coffee. This holiday tea is the event. They've signed this Healthy Food and Healthcare Pledge, which I'll explain in a minute. They're sourcing local herring and whitefish from instead of tilapia or and 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 uh, from Mexico or wherever. They have a, a local, there's someone locally in the community who goes to Alaska and has a commercial fishing license. He comes down and provides her salmon. That's all provided there. So that's something that they're doing, and they're getting positive feedback. Bartles Lutheran Home in Iowitz is a retirement community. 25% of their food is local. Their beef uh, is raised without hormones or non-therapeutic antibiotics. And as Robin Gaines, she's a dietitian and writes in sort of national dietetics journals and that, she said, you know, it just makes sense. Everyone in our hospital, or I'm sorry, in a in retirement home, you know, grew up within 20 miles. It's their cousins or their nephews or their nieces who are growing this stuff. Why should I be getting, you know, the side of beef that's come from, you know, who, know, actually, you know, who really knows where? I could just order it directly. It just makes sense. They've also signed our healthcare, uh, health, healthy food and healthcare pledge, and they're implementing a variety of other steps. And she is a great resource if any of you are sort of interested in this and connecting with her. She's just, she's just a, a dy dynamo. Um, Fletcher Allen Medical Center in Vermont. They compost their food waste. They uh, have organic produce. They're sourcing from a local, uh, local, uh, some local farms. They have RBGH-free milk and cheese, fair trade coffee. They um, they have a focus on fresh and local on their on their patient menus. They actually say why and they they say to their patients why they're serving local Vermont food because again it's about making that connection to the community and tying it into the community. Um, Good Shepherd Medical Center in Oregon. This is again not on sort of some people joke about the left coast out there, but this is on the east side of the left coast. Um, but it's in a more conservative area where, um, of, of Oregon, eastern Oregon. But again, it's uh, a hospital there. They do now all their food is cooked from scratch. And this, again, Nancy Gummer, she, she says, this is, this is why I was hired by healthcare to make healthy food. And, you know, she, she'll rant on and, you know, she said she grew up in North Dakota. And, you know, she can't even get food in North Dakota that is, was, was raised there. And so in Oregon, she said, I want to start changing this. This is crazy. They actually have um, some bison for, as a heart 
there's certain diets and nutritionists prescribed. They have di- a bison as a heart-friendly red meat. Hmm, who would have thought that, right? But it is. It's a heart-friendly, so they're actually serving red meat, which the patients like. Um, there's um, now sourcing some, uh, some beef through, uh, through a local uh, beef cooperative. But everywhere that a hospital has done this around the country, they have generated press. Um, the St. Luke's event, which, again, I'm not going to suggest that their hospital has um, completely changed everything. It's in northern Minnesota. They are not going to be able to get fresh produce in the middle of January from a local producer. Um, but um, they're getting, they were on Minnesota Public Radio. They were on the front page of the news, our, our local newspaper. They've been in Food Service Director magazine. They've been highlighted around the country. And patients are reporting to them, calling up and saying, this is so exciting, this is great. And it's re- really creating a community tie-in. It really is strengthening the relationship between the facility and, and the local community. And, um, and that's important. What we have developed through conversations with some of our partner hospitals is what we call our menu of options. And it's really to say that to recognize that hospitals are caught in this huge industrialized food system like many of us are as consumers. It you know, takes sometimes effort to get our local sustainable foods. And, and we always talk about baby steps because it's not about tomorrow. Tomorrow you should change everything. Everything should be local. Everything should be organic. It takes some time to change things. And so that's really important when you're working with your healthcare systems. And I think for a host, if there are healthcare systems in these towns, to recognize that when your producers or, or, or people are bring these issues to you, that that's sort of, that's the space that most of us, I would say, in this room want to create, that place for dialogue to start introducing and beginning with sort of baby steps. But it can be, it can be food, it can be composting, it could be a farmer's market. Some of these hospitals have CSAs, or now CSA drop-off points, and it's a way, again, to start to introduce that conversation. There is something that we have developed, there's copies of some of these materials on the back of the LSP um, booth, but this Healthy Food and Healthcare Pledge, which basically says... Um, we believe that healthy food should be defined beyond, from beyond a nutritional standpoint, but include environmental and social issues as well. And as a healthcare facility, we pledge to be, introduce um, steps to start bringing local sustainable food into a hospital. And there's a variety of things that they can do. It's, prescript, it's not prescriptive in the sense that there's no timeline, there's no requirement. But what it really does is it sends a signal to the marketplace, the Cisco's, the U.S. food services, the contra- food service contractors that they're working with, that as a facility you're interested in doing this. And there's also a, a, a comfort in, in, in within the healthcare community that, you know, and I think anywhere, right, you, it's 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 sometimes tough to be out there out front, but there's there's um, so this healthy food and healthcare pledge. Catholic Healthcare West has signed this thing. Um, uh, Oregon Health Science University, rated by the U.S. News and World Report as a top health hospital system, has signed our food pledge and is doing an incredible thing with local food. Hackensack University Medical Center, which is the largest healthcare uh, system uh, uh, in the country. Uh, facility in the country has signed their healthy food pledge. Um, so what are hospitals doing? They're asking, they're developing purchasing policies. They're sending letters to their, um, this is to U.S. Food Service. This is a letter from Fetzer Allen saying, we've signed our healthy food and health care pledge. We want you to start, you know, providing us products that meet our needs. Of course, it's all related, helping, as I started the conversation uh, 
about educating healthcare, how this is related to explicitly related to health, even though it may not be as apparent as they see it. So when they hospital physicians and mercury uh, and and nurses have stopped using mercury because they suddenly got that connection, it goes out the door and comes back. They're starting to wake up and see the connection between how food production distribution is ultimately impacting the patients that they see and their families. For more on Healthcare Without Harm, see www.healthyfoodinhealthcare.org. That's www.healthyfoodinhealthcare.org. That's all one word. You may want to ask your local healthcare facility to send staff to the annual FoodMed conference. Details are at www.foodmed.org. That's foodmed, F-O-O-D-M-E-D dot O-R-G. Send your comments and suggestions about this podcast to me, Brian DeVore, at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org. You can also call me at 612-729-6294. A special thank you goes out to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician who provided Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a very special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member and would like to support us, Go to landstewardshipproject.org to learn how to join LSP. Thanks for listening.